what does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Hey, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft with Pioneer Rx. And, you know, every episode we have another passionate uh, pharmacy guest who shares some of their experience when it comes to things that they're doing outside of dispensing. So enhanced services and their roles within different organizations and and just different ways that they bring that passion to life in their pharmacy. And today we have a very special guest because this is probably – one of the uh, one of the I don't want to say fathers of that train of thought, but definitely one of the early adapters to you know really thinking about the role that everyday pharmacies can perform. So really happy to welcome second generation pharmacist Matt Osterhaus to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on, Will. So. You are a second-generation pharmacist. Uh, I think that most people in the industry um, probably will recognize the Osterhaus name. So tell me a little bit about that journey from being a uh, a young lad uh, stocking the shelves in dad's pharmacy uh, back in the, in the early days to where you're at now. Yeah, so I think it's it's one of those things that – you know, I'm I'm from a big family. I have nine siblings, and everybody got a chance to work in the pharmacy. Uh, my dad practiced as a pharmacist for about 11 years before he bought his first community pharmacy here in Makokota. And so when we moved here, I was eight years old. And and like I said, we started off sweeping sidewalks and and stocking shelves. You know, filling up the bins of with prescription vials and and everybody got a chance to do that uh, whether you wanted to or not in our family <laughs> um, I, I guess I was the maybe the I have two older brothers and and uh, they both ended up once they were old enough to get jobs elsewhere moved on to something different but I stuck with pharmacy and but I think what it you know where it led all of us was to see watch our dad in action and to see what the the impact he had on the lives of individual patients and on our community as a whole as the community pharmacist in a small town in rural Iowa and so for myself I I enjoyed being being at the pharmacy and I enjoyed working with my dad um, you know there were there were certain there were days where we need a little space between the two of us, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I just, and so when it was time for me to, to make a decision about going to college, I, I thought I was pretty well set that, uh, pharmacy was where I was going to start. And, and, you know, neither of my older brothers had gone that direction, but, uh, so I went to the university of Iowa and, and I, I, not only uh, enjoyed the the 
start of what we had for uh, for classes, but I also enjoyed a lot of other things uh, at the University of Iowa. It was quite a fun spot to be as a 18 year old, and and I had to it couple years into school, make a decision that I really was going to get serious about being in pharmacy school if I wanted to stay there. So, um, but right off the bat in, you know, again, pretty much following my dad's footsteps, I had watched him be involved in the Iowa Pharmacy Association and, and then uh, on the board of pharmacy for the state of Iowa. And I think what really, what he really deep seated into all of us was that your involvement within your chosen profession uh, is is an important cog in making you the best you can be in that profession. So, so mm-hmm. you know, we we always focused on the patient, making things right for the patient, but understanding that you have something to give and something to share uh, from your time and talents to to make the profession stronger and to impact. Um, not only the your your fellow professionals, but the patients they serve, was really deeply instilled in in all of my siblings. But uh, my direction was pharmacy, so I was involved in the student organization at school, and uh, and have just kind of continued that involvement uh, throughout my career. And and the and again, I think. People may look at that and say, well, I'm really busy as a pharmacist and I've got my family life and I've got, you know, the fun things I want to do in life. But but making that all work together is is especially rewarding when you can see that the that you've made a positive impact. And it, but it, it takes yeah. effort and it takes time management to do it. But it's it's very doable. And it's uh, and, and like I said, it's very rewarding. That's that's really the trick, isn't it? When you can find those those things that are uh, competing for your focus and your energy, and really make those align and work together. Um, and so, uh, is that where Marilyn steps in in pharmacy school? Is she the one that said, "Hey, you need to get serious if you're going to stay in pharmacy school"? Or did you come up with that on your own? <laughs> oh no, I would say she, she played a pretty significant role in that. So. So my wife Marilyn's a pharmacist and <laughs> and is uh, was in my class in pharmacy school and and she often says that uh, you know I helped her experience uh, uh, concerts and and other social events and she helped me uh, graduate so it was a it was a good one two punch yeah yeah the the yin and the and the yang <laughs> so um, at a pharmacy school do you do you go right back to the family pharmacy or did you spend some time out and and do your uh do your sentence in a, in a big box environment just to see what that world is or or how did that go yeah so when we graduated uh, my dad was just finishing as the chairman of the board of pharmacy in Iowa uh, you know obviously a very influential pharmacist and and i felt like i needed to practice someplace else on my own to to kind of get my feet wet and and you know do a little bit of pioneering on myself and and so we Merrill and I both chose to uh, uh, seek jobs in in Milwaukee Wisconsin she had an aunt that lived there and and so we both we looked at independent pharmacies didn't find a fit that uh, that really worked for us so we both went to work for Walgreens and and lived in Milwaukee for three years I 
had the opportunity to be the pharmacist manager at a couple of stores that they had that were due and and uh, right as they opened. So it was a good learning experience. I figured out pretty quick that I like being my own boss a lot better than uh, <laughs> having someone make all the rules and, and the guidelines for me. But I learned a lot about how, you know, a chain store like Walgreens, you know, kind of their modus operandi when they open a new pharmacy and what they do to establish themselves and what they do to to evaluate the competition. And I think that's been it's been helpful uh, in my career down the line. So I don't I don't regret doing that. Milwaukee was a great experience. Uh, we we enjoyed living in Wisconsin and and uh, but we're there for about three years. And then as we started to establish our family, we we had the opportunity to move back to Makokota and and so have have been here now for uh, just about 40 years. So. Wow. Yeah, I always uh, I always think that's interesting. I'm like a uh, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell and, and he. Uh, writes about the hero's journey. And, and part of that is, you know, departing, finding your own way, having your own adventures, and then that return, that, that call back home. And, and, and I think that that journey where you, you build so much of that personal experience and, and you see, you know, a, a larger city, you see a, a pharmacy realm completely outside of what you grew up in, I think really lets you have a unique look at how great the environment you, you came from is, and also, you know, the bigger challenges and bigger opportunities out there as well. Yeah, and, you know, my dad had, had uh, been an early adopter of, of, of not only uh, actual ha having patient profiles, which I think pharmacists practicing day would think, how could you practice pharmacy without a patient profile? But that was, sure. you know, that was pretty much the standard of care in the 60s and 70s, but he had, he had adapted a paper one, and then when when QS1 uh, was born, he was one of the first pharmacies in Iowa to have a QS1 computer, and you know we had a refrigerator-sized uh, backup system that was uh, <laughs> very manual, and and uh, so there was some pain in being a pioneer in that area. But uh, but you know we went to work for Walgreens, and we were using typewriters uh, to type sure. labels, and so and so. You know, it's interesting. And as we in that early 80s, when we were there, Walgreens started their own computer system. Milwaukee was one of the test sites for it. So we were able to kind of be in on the ground floor of them computerizing their records. But it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to think how technology has changed practice. And yet there's a lot of the practice that's the same as it's been for for a lot of years. So. Yeah, it's also interesting to to think. I, I feel like so many times we have conversations about the state of things today and how they're changing and in flux. And we seem to kind of compare that against this false narrative that things weren't always changing. <laughs> and, you know, uh, change and chaos is, is always, you know, that's the, the constant. And so it's, it's interesting when you said that you're um, – your father Bob was in involved in the uh, state board and and involved with you know the the industry of pharmacy and affecting change. I think that's really important to remember is that that's not new. That's it's always been the state of of things is to change and and to uh, and to really need the uh, you know the participants in, participants in any community or business environment to 
you know, make sure that it's changing in the right way. Exactly. And I, and, and it's, I think it's, it, it is easy to say, I'm going to leave that up to somebody else. And, yeah. and I think that the, you know, when I talk to students today, I said, you know, there's, there is nothing more important than finding what you can do to make your profession better and, and just riding along and thinking, I'm going to let that somebody else's job uh, is not only dangerous from what can happen to the profession, but also, uh, uh, you're missing out on a lot of what is a is can be a very satisfying part of your career. Yeah, I'm um I, I'm a big fan of that mentality in every aspect of of your life. If whatever you're doing, if there's a way that you can contribute and share your talents or put a little bit of effort, you can you know just make your microcosm of the world at least better and and. Uh, you know, if everyone does that, man, that really makes things nice. <laughs> so um, talking about affecting change and kind of forward thinking. So getting software early on is a big one. That that one is, you know, uh, a huge change. When I when I look at generations before ours and, and we just take so much of our technology for granted, you know, my, my daughter – snaps up her iPhone and just, you know, has access to all the, you know, information she could ever need. Uh, but then I think about her great grandmother who has that same iPhone, who at one point didn't have a landline, who actually had a, a, a rural home without indoor plumbing, you know, and, and that gap is very, very close. So for somebody to go from, you know, not having a color television to switching their entire business to run on this new technology is, uh, it's a big step. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive to, to take that leap. And it's probably not a, a, uh, a cheap purchase at that point either. No, that's for sure. It's a significant investment. And I think he can see that the, the efficiency of having, that patient information at your fingertips was really a game changer and, and was, you know, he was, he was all in on it. And, and so our, you know, everybody that worked at Osterhouse pharmacy in those days was, you know, pretty much in awe of, of what we went from and what we went to. And, and again, when you think about how, archaic that system is compared to what we're using now and, and it's 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 pretty amazing in the in the time that you like you say a single lifetime yeah the, cha the change is really pretty darn radical yeah so the um the patient profiles that he had before the computer system was that just medication history or yeah so uh, it was disease a, it states was a, yeah so it was probably about a uh, four by six maybe maybe five by eight card and you basically they're alphabetized and you pulled it out every time that patient came in and you hand wrote that they got their Lenoxin, you know, filled on such and such a day. And so you had a record of that prior to that. I mean, my dad would talk about the fact that, you know, you, a lot of pharmacies, you get a prescription for Lenoxin for a patient and you just fill it until they 
moved away or died or whatever. There was, you know, there was, it was a, I mean, that's the way it was. And, and so, so, I mean, the great majority of pharmacies and pharmacists had no idea whether patients were being adherent to their medicines. They, when they ran out, they showed up at your door and you gave them more and, and, uh, or whether they'd seen their physician and whether someone had looked at whether this is still the right dose or the right therapy. It was just, it was a very different time. And, and I think that that was the, you know, trying to be, trying to turn that so that the pharmacist-patient relationship was different was, was significantly a, you know, a real significant passion of my dad's. And, and again, I think that's what I saw growing up in the pharmacy was that this, he really is a, a major player in how well people, you know, manage their health and, and, I remember, you know, one of the other things that years ago, a lot of physicians dispense medications and, and they, you know, were the same way they would, they would write, write it down once that this is what this patient's on. And then it just, you know, they just wow. kept going and no records. And so when my dad moved to Maquoketa, he made it part of his passion was to go to these physicians and say, you know, you really don't have any business being the one who dispenses this. It's you're probably not very good at it. You're probably not making much money at it. I'll buy everything you've got there, bring it into my pharmacy, probably throw most of it away, but just to get people out of the dispensing business. So he did that with two or three different physicians in town. And oh, wow. you know, obviously it, it made a difference in the business the pharmacy did, but it also it also enhanced the, you know, the care that patients were getting. Yeah. And so, you know, that's another thing that I feel like can be kind of a, a stumbling block for a lot of independent pharmacies is that, um, well, we're just this small town pharmacy and, and, and a rural area and we can't really affect change when uh, there's a lot of opportunity in that model because you have so much, uh, you know, goodwill in the community. You have those relationships that are really hard to build in a in a in a much larger community, it's almost like you're poised perfectly to affect change in a big way. Just have to take action, you know, and, and I think take the initiative and, and like you say, build that trusting relationship and then, you know, really look at it with a critical eye and say, what can we do that's better? And what can we do together that's better is, is you know, even a be- the best way to look at it. Yeah. So when I was preparing uh, for this podcast, I, you know, I was scouring the internet and I'm going through all these articles and I'm finding articles that are, um, you know, surprisingly early on referencing what we now call enhanced services. Um, you know, the termino- terminology has changed a little bit. Uh, groups like CPESN have kind of, uh, I don't know, almost established standards for that conversation. but even in the in the '90s, you were moving into what uh, you guys were calling, I guess, patient care services. Um, so it, it sounds like you had a, a focus on kind of changing your role and 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 eyeing some opportunities before it was really kind of um, you know popular to do so. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say, and part of that. Um, Will comes from the way that that pharmacy works in Iowa is is really pretty special because the 
know, we have two schools of pharmacy. We have a state association that represents all pharmacists. And it's a, it's, if you work at it, it's an equation to build opportunities that maybe can't happen in other places as easily. And so, so when, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the people in Minnesota were coming up with the theories about pharmaceutical care, both Minnesota and Florida, and, and talking about how this can work. Um, I think Iowa was really the first place where we said we're going to make it work in in the real life of pharmacy and not just the theories and not just, you know, here's here's a perfect world and here's how it would work. We we kind of got it down to the the nuts and bolts of what it takes to document the care you provide and and seek out the people who really need that extra care delivered in a way that improves their patient outcomes, hopefully improves the cost of their care at the same time. And so the Iowa Center for Pharmaceutical Care started with 12 sites in Iowa, and we are one of them. And again, you know, I, I, you know, I, I give a lot of credit. I'm very fortunate to have, you know, grown up with my, my dad being my mentor, but, you know, at, at his age then in the early nineties, he was showing everybody else on our staff that he was going to do this too. And nice. so, you know, he was 60 some years old and had been out of school for 40 years and was, he was going to also learn how to document and provide care the way that this, this new wave was coming through. And I think it's pretty hard for the other staff pharmacists to say, well, I'm going to slack off when you saw Bob O <laughs> attending these meetings at, you know, 10 o'clock at night that we were driving to meet other pharmacists to talk about our barriers and our solutions and our problems and, and, and what we're going to do to make it work. And so, so it was inspiring to everybody. And and again, we we took that concept with the 12 sites and we expanded it to about 200 pharmacists across the state that were involved in it. We, uh, the state association worked to get a contract with Iowa Medicaid to, to get paid for what we were doing. Um, really a groundbreaking, uh, you know, contract at that point. But it, it showed that, you know, we really could do it. We really could make a difference. And and then other other things that as we looked at those opportunities, we we really tried to have a broad lens about what is what else can we do. We got involved in some community-based research for pharmaceutical companies. Um, we, oh, wow. uh, you know, we, in, in the '90s also we 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 looked at the opportunities to to not only you know do things in Iowa, but how can we expand it outside of that and. And so we we helped APHA develop a, a center for pharmaceutical care and ended up working with the APHA Foundation on Project Impact to to show how we could impact uh, the lipid levels of patients and their adherence and getting them on the right meds and having them work and and again not every project worked uh, you know I we we were doing a hypertension project that we we just didn't get staffed up for properly and didn't get everybody in the staff involved in and it was sort of a bust and yeah but we learned from those failures to uh that you you got to have a champion within every site 
if you really want to make change work and and if you want to and you've got to you have to seriously look at both your physical layout of your of your pharmacy and the workflow of your pharmacy those nuts and bolts type things are important uh in the sites that were more successful you could see that that's what they had done and so we've taken that concept uh into you know today to flip the pharmacy uh through community pharmacy foundation and the and cpsn and you know when we're when we're trying to transform a practice to help them get to that next level uh you have to start with the basics and and that's you know it's 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 a lesson we learned and and like i said it the, the fact that you don't make it that every one of these projects isn't a success, I think, is the reality. You need to go into them and say, we're going to learn from what we did, we're going to move on, and we're going to we're going to make the next one most more successful. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, that's why that that pioneering uh, spirit is so important, and being willing to fail forward. And and then share that uh, that story and say, hey, look, this is this is a really good idea, and here's why it didn't work for us. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, super super valuable because somebody has to uh, to find those those challenges uh, as well as find those successes, and um, you know, continue to do that and share that. So. Um, you kind of fast forwarded uh, a little bit. You mentioned working with APHA, which eventually you became very involved with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, my dad had led the way there, being involved in some of the, the committee work with APHA and then going on to the board and ended up being president of APHA. And so when I had the opportunity to, to put my name in to run for the board of trustees, um, Couple things. One, I, you know, I, I had that firsthand knowledge of what the experience is. Uh, not only that it can be rewarding, but that you have to be willing to uh, to give up some time and and energy to if you want to make it work. Um, and so the the process, I think, of of making a difference on that national level is, you know, be willing to to take the steps to do things. So, you know, I served. The Iowa Pharmacy Association in in leadership there um, before I moved on to APHA. So kind of you know I, I think that stepwise fashion is is certainly not unusual that you see that across the country. But it I think it's it's you see that because it really makes a difference. It it prepares you for for mm. not only serving in a in a way that's impactful, but uh, but surviving the 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 process of it, which sometimes can be a little. <laughs> People take a few shots at you when you're on that <laughs> national stage, and you got to be ready for that. So, yeah. Well, I, I imagine it also helps you really build those uh, professional relationships and and kind of align with you know like-minded uh, professionals uh, that you may have not have uh, have met otherwise. So, yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, a great example of that is my early on involvement with APHA with community pharmacy residencies. And, you know, we we made the decision to partner with the University of Iowa to start the residency as a classmate of mine was on faculty there that that said, you know, this is the natural progression. You've been you've been training PharmD students for a handful of years. Having a resident here that's 
you know, it's connected with the university. It's going to be on at your site, can show you the, you know, help you really take things forward in a way that that's uh, that's way above above and beyond what a student can do. Was you know, again, it's it, we took some risk and we took some, you know, some again a little bit of trying to figure out how can you make this work type of a thing but it's been you know we're i think we're in our 26th year of the residency now and and it's been fantastic for bringing a fresh mind and a and a you know an ambitious young pharmacist into your practice every year and thinking about what you can do to to meet the professional goals that you have for your practice and for your patients uh, along with the professional goals that this new resident has is uh, is really a very, very satisfying part of what we do. And we, we've done it as a as a group teach the whole time. I've been the, the main preceptor for our residents since we started the program, but everybody in our practice is involved in teaching. And I think that's not only a, a inspiring way to come to work every day, but it's also makes a huge difference in the in the educational experience of the students and residents that come through our site that they're they've got you know a good handful of people that they can not only look up to but uh, learn from and uh, and you know it's it, that mentorship and those as you say those professional relationships you make by making those kind of moves really not only can last last a lifetime and be very satisfying but they also again they open up new opportunities uh for your practice if you if you put the effort into it yeah because uh 26 years ago especially i i think a lot of the pressures that are driving people to you know look for revenue streams and and things outside of dispensing um you're doing the same thing but i feel like the motivation was was different uh, back then because you didn't have some of those same pressures. And certainly those same pressures weren't being conveyed to, you know, somebody in pharmacy school. So when somebody is in pharmacy school and, and the, the fill and bill model still viable <laughs> uh, 26 years ago and they come to uh, Osterhouse Pharmacy and they see that you guys are already doing, you know, enhanced services and really focusing on things uh, in, in a much different way. Uh, I think that's what was, was it always met with like, wow, this is what community pharmacy can be. And this is way different than what I saw in, you know, thus far in, in school and in the rotations that I've been, or was there pushback? Like, what is this guy doing up here? He's, he, this is a pharmacy, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that, you know, the people that showed an interest in the residency, the students that showed an interest in the residency, had gotten the bug somewhere, you know, and yeah. whether it was in a particular uh, instructor at the College of Pharmacy or whether it was at a, a rotation they went through or or was through their involvement with APHA or, or an, another, you know, NCPA or another professional organization, that pharmacy could be different. And but, you know, we still have students that show up at our site, you know, for a five week clerkship that have never been in a community pharmacy that provides enhanced services. And so it's, it's still, it's still an eye opener today for, for students. And I think, again, the, the students that choose to sign up to come to, to our site, you know, we, we 
we have students from Iowa and and Drake, uh, which are two are two state schools in state schools. But we also have students from St. Louis College of Pharmacy and Creighton and Midwestern and Ohio State and Wisconsin that come to our site because they want that experience. So that's that bodes well for the the future of the profession, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um when you when you started stepping into a lot of these enhanced services, did you kind of, you know, let's focus on like the patient care programs for hypertension or cholesterol. Did you kind of develop those within your own walls of the pharmacy? Did you work with a physician to kind of develop those protocols? And then did you do that strictly within your pharmacy or with some kind of collaborative practice and, and you know, billing module built in with someone else? Yeah. So the majority of, of those, as we built patient care services, were actually done as we as we started into the residency program where we really built the foundational, well-organized patient education and things like that. And so we would choose a, choose what we saw as a need in our patients that, that was not being filled by, by their current providers and, you know, and decide how can we make this work? And so the resident would do the research on it. We would work together as a team to put together what's the program going to be, you know, how many sessions, how many weeks, and or what kind of monitoring or patient follow-up are we going to do? So I would say our our first, you know, our first real dive into that was because of Project Impact Hyperlipidemia that we did with the APHA Foundation that where we had gotten a Clestech machine and could actually do patients' labs in this on site. Um, and we're just really motivating patients to, to that they should have a goal to meet. That's why they're on this medication. And here's why, and here's what the positive outcomes are. Here's the potential negative outcomes if you if you don't follow through with this. And so the monitoring and the and was all pretty much all kind of started within the pharmacy. And but as we shared the information with our local physicians, you could see a change in the way that they looked at uh you know hyperlipidemia and the and the treatment thereof and so so we tried to keep it as open as far as a sharing process as we could you know as we started these you know there was never any real thought from the beginning that this was anything but a cash deal with the patient that that had an interest in in making a difference in their own health care and then when we got when we got the contract with Medicaid that sort of started to get us to think about, you know, who's really paying the bills for, for the big picture of healthcare and not just the prescriptions and how we can impact that. We, uh, we had started to do some wellness screening at employers uh, going in and offering that we could do cholestechs and, and blood glucoses check people's, you know, know, establish ideal body weight and help people, you know, you know, take, you know, make some proactive things they could do to change their own uh, trajectory of their health. And when we went down uh, to to an employer about 40 miles from here, we had put together a 
a screening and, you know, we get down there at four o'clock in the morning so we can screen the patients coming off the third shift and then get the patients coming on to the first shift and stuck around and got the people that were second shifters. And so it was a, it was a full day of our team Long down day. there. Long day, but, uh, but fun to, you know, to be involved in something like that. So it was, but at the, as we were down doing this, we were really looking at, you know, our, our, our goal was we, you know, we thought we were, you know, going to concentrate on the, on diabetes. Uh, we thought that's something that, you know, we know it costs a lot. We know that there's a lot of negative patient outcomes when it's not taken care of. And so we screened about, I think it was about 80 people. And I think, you know, six of them had diabetes, but we we're looking at the lipid levels and the blood pressures on these people. So we went to lunch, our team, and uh, and and Patty Cumbera, who was uh, with Outcomes at the time, was part of this. They were helping us with the screening. And uh, as we went to lunch, we decided what we really need is a we need a a program for better heart health. Mm. So we at lunch we created what the program was going to be. We called it Heart Smart. We went back to the leadership of the company after lunch and said, "Here's the other service we have that we haven't told you about." Yet. <laughs> and uh, written on a napkin. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and we uh, we sold it to them, and it was a great relationship for several years that uh, we were monitoring these patients, and they were far enough away that we weren't filling their prescriptions. We were just providing basically wellness services, and and uh, but making a difference and how they saw their pharmacist as a member of their healthcare team and, and also really empowered them to make some changes that improve their health. So we did smoking cessation and, you know, weight loss with them, um, lipid reduction, hypertension reduction. So, so it was a, but it was a lot of fun. And, and every time we put together one of these, trying to figure out who does it really impact and how can we bring somebody else into this that's going to, you know, make a difference with, uh, with the with the health of this patient? Who who's paying the bill? Who really has something to gain from it? And and tried to to make that a coalition of people that uh, that could make a difference. So it was fun. And you know, unfortunately, a few years later, somebody bought that company. They said, well, we have a tell a nurse, you know, in North Carolina, that's going to make the calls. We don't need your services anymore. And, you know, that's, there's ups and downs as things like that change, but you do what you can when you can enjoy it. So, so anybody responsible for paying a bill in healthcare has got to be able to see these three, you know, priority therapeutic classes that you can affect change your hypertension, your cholesterol, diabetic patients, and a touch point that can reach them every month uh, that can help monitor and affect change. And all, all of those conditions are so, um, you know, so affected by lifestyle and coaching. You know, why isn't every payer running to uh, a pharmacy or running to with a contract in hand to, you know, help help curtail this this crazy expense and and you know keep people out of the hospital yeah it's there's no question will that we the proof is there 
involving a pharmacist in the care of a patient like this and really managing chronic illnesses improves outcomes, reduces costs. We've done it over and over and over again. And and it is maddening that you know the response you get is well, you know, we don't pay pharmacists like that. Well, we know you don't. <laughs> we know you should. And so it it so I think and I and my my thought on it is that you've got to do it at a big enough scale to show that the difference is without a doubt worth the investment. And so I would say that, you know, again, you know, going back to my father, he helped uh, start the Community Pharmacy Foundation 20 some years ago. And when uh, he went off the board and I went on that board, but for 20 years, we've, you know, the, the foundation has, you know, worked to take pilot projects and within a pharmacy or a small group of pharmacies and show the difference that pharmacists can make. And when I joined the board, the other board members, including my dad, said, we're looking for a big idea to, to support that really shows that we can take these some of these pilots and move them to a a big scale and and you know that that has been flip the pharmacy uh, over the last you know we're pushing now four years um, that that program's been going on and and I think that you know flip the pharmacy and the idea of CPSN where it's not just Osterhouse Pharmacy in our little corner of Iowa or 12 other pharmacies across the state that are doing this. You know, with CPSN and with Flip the Pharmacy transforming community pharmacy practices, you know, we now have 120 sites across Iowa that are working together to say we can consistently provide these services. And and we've got, you know, 44 or 45 networks across the country that are that are all stepping up to do this. And I think that that kind of scale is without a doubt the most exciting thing that i've been involved in in my career as a pharmacist I, you know some of the early stuff we did where no one had done it before was exciting but but putting people together and focusing on the people that pay the bills to say we can make a difference and we can show you this you know with no uncertain terms you you put the incentives in front of the pharmacies that that are ready to do this and able to do it and want to do it, and we will make a difference. And, and I think that you know we we continue to try and be creative in what we do and how we do it. But you know I I think that most of most of the networks that within CPSN will are going to be willing to take on some financial risk uh, in the not too distant future and say you know. As long as we set targets, and if the, if savings in your total healthcare dollars is one of those targets, we can show you in a year's time we can make that happen. And uh, I think yeah. that's I think having that that scale and really working together within these clinically integrated networks, where you know the pharmacies that are 10 miles away from us or 15 miles away from us that are serving 
some of the same employers that we are or working with the same hospital systems that we are. If we can show we can consistently solve some of these problems that have been ongoing in the healthcare system, it's it's really the chance to 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 make a big break for pharmacy and and I think we're on the cusp of that. Yeah, I think that that consistency is so important because as pharmacists have been able to get paid for things that traditionally were out of their wheelhouse like immunizations, that's a very easy thing to quantify and understand and 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 get a biller on board with because while this is so much more accessible, they do a great job, they're clinically trained, this makes perfect sense. And it's so easy to quantify giving an immunization, whereas some of these bigger um, bigger ideas of patient monitoring and these patient care systems, you really have to have uh, independent pharmacies working uh, collaboratively, you know, uh, and not being an island as, as uh, uh, an independent pharmacy and being part of that bigger picture with groups like CPESN. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's really an important part of that. And, you know, something else I wanted to kind of touch on is, you know, I see so many of the pharmacists that we work with on a daily basis that are extremely passionate who maybe aren't leveraging that community around them so much. They need to open a second store. They need to go to every trade show. They need to open a concierge service and and they need to be available 24 hours and they need to, they need to, they need to, they need, there's so many need tos that it, it can, it, it can really, um, you know, where, where, where does, where does the, <laughs> where, where's the relief on that effort? Yeah. And I think that, you know, on a on a micro scale, you know, if we if in you know as long as we've been in practice, if we decide that there is an unmet need in our patients, and we think we can fill that need, we have been willing to say, okay, let's put our heads together and figure out what is it they need, how can we fill that gap, and. And, you know, and how are we going to make it work from an ROI standpoint? And there's a lot of those that we started off on that the ROI part was pretty sketchy, but, you know, we could at least see that there is, there is a way that this could work. And like I said, there's some of those things that we started that, you know, we figured out we couldn't make it work. But, you know, I look at like, you know, the, our, our little center within our pharmacy for, for post-mastectomy patients, the pink wardrobe, we call it. You know, our, our, we didn't think we felt like our patients shouldn't have to drive 30 miles to go see someone they don't know at a time when they're extremely vulnerable and in a place where it's just it's it's a very difficult time for a woman after she's had a mastectomy. And and we've you know, we weren't really sure what our market was, but we just knew that we'd had a few patients that, you know, felt like we could have served better than they got served someplace else. And so. So Maryland actually started that service back in the 80s, and uh, we're we're now having patients that drive 30 or 40 miles to come and see us because of the personal, <laughs> you know, the personal relationships they've developed with our fitters. And so those little things, you 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 are frequently taking a flyer on whether it's going to pay off, but and at some point you have to look at it and say, is it paying off? You know, you, 
because yeah. fr- from the quality of life of your of your staff, you can't pull them in so many directions that uh, you know that they're they're always thinking that I'm never getting this done. I'm, I'm I'm we're always behind. We're always you know running to the next thing. So so you do have to make some decisions sometimes that maybe we're not the best at this and uh, let that go for somebody else. But at the same time, you can't be afraid to to dip your toe in the water and say, this is something that could work. And this is something that, you know, that we've got the training. If we're if we're willing to put the uh, the human investment into it and the financial investment into it, it's got a chance of working. And you got to just take chances with those things. And and pharmacists are creative. They're passionate. They're they're you know, it's just a it's fun to work with pharmacists who who know that they can make a difference and 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 are willing to give it all their all to make it happen and, and that's I've just been extremely fortunate in my whole career to have such a great team surrounding us here at Osterhouse Pharmacy and and you know I might be the one that gets to shake hands with the governor or whatever uh, we actually have the president of the University of Iowa coming to visit us here in about half an hour or so oh. <laughs> uh, um, but it's it's the people that uh, that are on our team that you know are, are that really make things happen and and I'd say that you know the Osterhaus family is 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 forever indebted to the Osterhaus pharmacy family that we've developed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now is one of those times where people uh, you know are working to actively create new billing methods and and new standards uh, in pharmacy school for care plans, for uh, medical billing opportunities. And it's one of those things where, you know, uh, Bobo, as you referred to him, wasn't getting paid for, you know, building his, uh, his cards of uh, patient profiles, right? Uh, but, it, but it was that forward thinking that led to new standards of the way things are done today from him and, you know, ev- everyone in that time frame thinking ahead. Um, so it is so important. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your kind of journey recently um, where a lot of pharmacists may be saying, wow, this is going pretty well. I'm, you know, uh, this pharmacy is going great. I'm going to open another one and I'm going to keep piling on instead of, you know, maybe focusing on how can I work collaboratively with other pharmacies, with other people in the industry and focus on what I do really, really well. Uh, and I think that's an interesting part of uh, kind of the Osterhouse story. Yeah. So, you know, um, like I said, I'm one of, of 10 children. I have a sister who's a pharmacist, but she's a uh, a, a little different tack at things. She was uh, in the pharmaceutical industry as a pharmacoeconomist, so uh, never had been a community pharmacist, and had four children that you know thought probably one out of those four would be interested in pharmacy, but they <laughs> they were over four there. So so uh, so Meryl and I really looked at things, and and along with my dad made the decision that we that a partnership with a with a broader organization would was really the the best next step for us so so we we sold Osterhouse pharmacy and and m M&M care our long-term care pharmacy 
um, to uh, the Greenwoods, who have a group of sites up in the Waterloo area. So they're now at seven sites total, and I've continued to manage both these sites. Um, and but I think the power of of bringing you know another another group together uh, has made us stronger this year, and I think we're we're ready to weather some of the the financial things that are in front of pharmacy right now. Uh, the, you know this DIR cliff that everyone's talking about in the first part of 2024. I think we're going to put ourselves in good position to be ready for that. But it also it just it, it expands the the opportunities. Uh, and you know, and and it was important to us that we look for somebody who's going to have a similar practice philosophy, and and that's exactly what we have with uh, with Bob and Sherry and Joe Greenwood uh, becoming uh, the owners, and and it's I I feel really good about it. I I you know I'm not ready to pull up stakes and retire or anything like that, <laughs> but I. But I have, you know, I've throttled it down a little bit and we've rearranged some of the duties so that, you know, that I am kind of in the mode of, of trying to not only make our site as, uh, as efficient and, and operationally sound as we can and continuing to, to build those bridges with, with payers and, and other collaborative partners. Um, but you know, let let some of the the day to day management stuff go to some of the people on my staff, and it's it's you know it's been good. Ten months into it, and um, I think that it's been positive for everybody. I think that some of those opportunities are they're they're becoming a little more complex. I think that everyone can probably agree that uh, you know the majority of people don't really want to end up in a nursing home. They'd like to live in their own home as long as they can, and so we're trying to really focus on what is it that pharmacists can do to, in a very organized and concrete manner, help people do that. So whether it is remote monitoring of that patient or uh, adherence packaging or some combination thereof, but but partnering with physicians and and rehab people and 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 things like that to to really explore the opportunities that are out there to to meet a problem that is significant as as our population ages and uh, could be very significant for uh, another big change in the way pharmacists practice. So excited about that. Absolutely. That was uh, definitely the overarching theme of, you know, everything I could find when I was looking into your uh, your uh, articles and news stories and 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 the past was that spirit of collaboration with payers and with pharmacy groups and and with your local colleges and and now with the Greenwood. So uh, really an honor to talk to you. Really enjoyed this conversation. I know you have uh, folks coming in any minute here from the from uh, Iowa Pharmacy. So send them my regards. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look forward to hearing what you're up to in the in the next few months and years. So keep us posted. Very good. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it too. And and uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna keep making pharmacy uh, a spot where not only creative people want to practice, but uh, we can show that every day we make a difference in the lives of our patients. So, thanks a bunch. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform. 